Welcome to Dig It. This is Edge with my co-host, Corey Lynn of Corey's Digs. Hey, Corey, how's it going? It's busy, busy, busy. Lots going on. How about you? Same here, same here. Plus, you know how this time of year, cold's always going around, so trying to battle that as well and Mm. stay on top of things, which things are moving so quickly um, on the global scale and here at home. There's just a lot to keep track of. I know. It's crazy, right? It is. It is. Insane. And we've got a lot to cover today. Um, I know that you have some announcements and some resources on your site you want to go over, plus a recent in- interview you did with Financial Rebellion, which will be awesome to to watch. Um, Twitter test program, something you want to talk about, as well as Laura Logan's series called The Rest of the Story, where she deep dives into January 6th and some stories out of that that you were really never told. Also, I know that you want to go over some aspects of a lawsuit against Pfizer by an Ontario father, as well as some other COVID-related pieces. And then I'm going to get into various aspects of the economy from inflation to government spending and debt and the great financial reset, which we know this is what it's all about, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes. So uh, I had the pleasure of going on with Catherine Austin Fitz and Carolyn Betts, and I really missed Polly. Polly was out on the CHD bus, so she she couldn't <laughs> couldn't make it to this one uh, on Financial Rebellion, CHD TV. So we talked about my space report. And then I'm also, next week, it should be coming out on Solari. Uh, we did a recording as well as Marion. Uh, I always pronounce Miriam's last name wrong. I feel terrible. Henine. Henine. What is it? Henine. Yeah, yeah. Mm Henine. Sorry, Miriam. She's going to (laughs) smack me. Okay. And then I'm also recording next week with Sarah Westall and Sean at SGT Report. Love those guys. Nice. So um making the rounds with all the I, I am I am trying to because it's just such a massive report you know and, and a lot of people prefer to just listen and even though I can only get through like snippets in the talks at least I can get I can get some critical info out so yeah Fantastic. and then and then on uh so Twitter let's just talk about this for two seconds two seconds so they're saying this this was the other day on the 17th they said Starting today, we're testing a new program, not a bot, in New Zealand and the Philippines. New unverified accounts will be required to sign up for a $1 annual subscription to be able to post and interact with other posts. Within this test, existing users are not affected. This test was developed to bolster our already successful efforts to reduce spam, manipulation of our platform, and bot activity while balancing platform accessibility with the small fee amount. It is not a profit driver. So... No, it's not a profit driver. It's not it's not about the money. It's not about the bots. It's about the tracking. It's about right. getting people to subscribe so they can get the name and they can get your financial digits. Yep. And so that's where this is heading and it's really just annoying because it's getting really harder and harder and harder to get my reports out edge. I just oh. It's so frustrating. I mean, I'm like 200,000 listeners down, followers down just from being deplatformed everywhere. And if they end up pushing for this, you know, I'm gone. I'm not I'm not going along with this crap. Right. Well, I guess that answers that because I was questioning whether or not I should create a new account because I'm still deplatformed off of Twitter. And so I was thinking, oh, maybe I should create another account, you know, because my reach is, is limited, as you know, you're experiencing as well. I'm on Truth, I'm on Gab, but I'm trying to get, you know, a, a bigger audience and, you know, make a more of a significant impact with the information I get out. And right. I'm like, I guess I got to go to Twitter. Well, I'm not <laughs> signing up for any, you know, dollar and, annual subscription. Not that I care about the dollar. I just care about them having my financial information and there being a connection there, right? Because that's what, right. the, what it's about. I mean, it's so stupid. The, like the, like a dollar annual subscription is going to prevent bot farms from paying a hundred bucks for a hundred bots for a year. Come on. You know, it's right. it's so stupid. That's not going to reduce. That's not going to reduce anything. That's just going to change the game, and unfortunately, it's going to change it for us. So, um, 
yeah so obviously they're they're heading in that direction so so moving on from uh twitter over to uh this was fantastic laura logan yeah i just have so much respect for her so it's not all just about january 6th actually uh it's about you know the elections and is i'm not sure exactly what episodes are yet to come because she traveled for quite a while um meeting up with a bunch of people and doing interviews and so in fact oh shoot you know what i'm gonna go look right now while we're talking because she posts them let me see if the new one posted so i know what the topic is uh she's been posting them every thursday on her twitter and if you go under her highlights tab that's where she has them all um i don't think i'm looking here now episodes one through four okay i don't think she has episode five out yet but they post on thursdays and uh let me go over here sorry i'm I'm very disorganized this morning <laughs> going on this week so yeah it's a series it's called um it, it's called the rest of the Stor story with lara logan um she's been doing it every thursday for the past few weeks right um she's got maybe she's got four episodes four out. episodes out and it's yep. truth and media who's publishing uh for her right but then she puts it on her twitter feed you can watch them all there right the full episodes right under the highlights yeah so the first two episodes were about matthew perna uh bless his soul uh god rest his soul and and so the first two were you know and he went to january 6th and it's just such a terrible story he, he ended up committing suicide um because of them pushing so hard and and threatening that they were gonna lock him up for years and it's just absolutely terrible and i just i really respect laura's approach to it because she met with um with his aunt in this one and i don't want to give away details because people should go in and watch but it's very heartfelt um the the way the way she handles interviews it's very very compassionate um but you know she doesn't really go with bias she she rolls in some some facts of course and meets with other people and um the film production crew on this is brilliant and 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 then in in episodes three and four she gets into the brunson brothers who have been repeatedly filing against the uh fraudulent elections and they are just i just wanted to hug them all they're they're just <laughs> amazing kindest, patriots yes just the kindest men and and it was just it, i just couldn't get enough so i'm really looking forward to see what's coming out next that each episode is roughly 25 minutes so kind of the perfect amount of time and i highly recommend people um support her work and check out this series for sure and i don't know how long it's it's going for i mean this could be like an ongoing thing they keep doing i'm not sure yeah and so, um so Corey, you published this on your site so everybody listening can just go to your site find this publication there's links in it for you to be able to watch the shows right right yeah i wanted to try and help get this out so we, we put it out in a newsletter awesome. yeah and and then i don't know what do we want to jump to next well the next thing i have up is about this lawsuit against Pfizer that might have some set some precedence. Yeah. Okay. So let me go over to that one. I have kind of a grouping here of things I want to get into around um, COVID essentially. So, so this is, he's an Ontario, Dan Hartman is the father of uh, Sean Hartman who passed away 33 days after receiving the jab. It was Pfizer's BioNTech. Um, on September 27, 2021. And his son was required to get it in order to play hockey. And it's it's really awful. So he actually um, had tried to, you know, he filed, was denied money from the vaccine injury support program. This is, you know, in Canada in March, despite Sean dying after getting the COVID vaccine jab not vaccine jab so he uh he had taken him to the emergency room 
four days after the first dose because he had brown circles around his eyes, a rash on his face and pain in his right shoulder. And, you know, at 33 days after he had passed away, well, American pathologist, Dr. Ryan Cole, who I'm sure many people have are familiar with, had determined that in back in July um, that, and I want to say that was, I don't know if that was this year or the previous year, but that he had died from the COVID vaccine, that he examined his tissues I believe he's, isn't he a pathologist? Yeah, he's a pathologist. So he examined his tissues and he found spike protein in his adrenal glands. And so I guess they had, um, I believe they had like two years to file and they just filed like in the 11th hour on September 27th of this year. And so he's seeking 35.6 million in damages. And, um, and, and so here's the thing. Let me scroll down and just read. I just want to read a couple of points from this article because most people are going to immediately say, well, you can't because, you know, they're not liable. But with all of the information that's come out about the fraud behind these clinical trials and these contracts going with the governments and everything that kind of opened up a can of worms as another right. avenue. Right. Because so if you can I prove the fraud, then you can prove that the, the contracts that gave them um shield from liability would be the those contracts would be fraudulent right? right so it pokes holes in that right exactly and so i so i you know i'm i'm hopeful i do think this might have a chance and so what his lawyer said is that it was um with the standard of care that it was breached when it disregarded and misrepresented the results of the safety trials by providing an incorrect characterization of the efficacy data discounting results of adverse events on vaccinated people in the study, not highlighting all results and adverse events revealed in the studies conducted, and not stopping their administration on Canadians due to known safety concerns. Uh, it goes on to say that the particulars include failing to disclose uh, people under 40 years old had an increased risk of myocarditis after taking the vaccine, rates of myocarditis were higher in adolescent males, Inadequate testing was performed to ensure their safety and efficacy, failing to complete post-market surveillance and inform the Canadian government and the public of the results, failing to disclose the issues with the vaccine, and failing to identify, implement, and verify procedures to address post-market surveillance risks. So, uh, and finally, he concluded by saying that uh, Pfizer concealed the fact the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccination had severe possible risks and outcomes when administered, including but not limited to myocarditis, pericarditis, and death to the public healthcare providers and regulatory authorities, including Health Canada. So there plead, uh, the plaintiff pleads that the wrongful death of his son, Sean Hartman, was caused by the negligence of the defendant. So you can follow, we have his Twitter up, you can follow him. Um, I, I grabbed that post because it shows the actual slides there of the spike protein and the adrenals. So you can you can follow him over on um, Twitter at answers and then the number four and then Sean S E A N. If you want to, you know, follow him, support him over there, and then you can get case updates on how this goes. But I think this has the potential. And I'm, you know, to possibly set a precedence. And I'm not sure. Are you aware of any cases in the U.S. or anywhere else that have been have been filed, Edge? Oh my gosh, I'm sure there are plenty. I just haven't heard recently of any successes. So um, I'm interested yeah. to see how this one goes. Yeah, me as well. Yeah, and then so I had done a poll across. Um, I did it on True Social, Twitter, and Gab. So. 1996 people so nearly 2000 people responded and what i had asked was have you ever lost you know a, a friend or loved one to the jab uh b do you have a friend or loved one who's been injured from the jab c both you know because a lot of people know several people that have been harmed and then d was uh you know neither that thank god 
So the neither was 38%, and how the rest broke down was 15%, so of nearly 2,000 people, said that they have lost someone, someone died. Uh, 24% said they had a friend or loved one who was injured from it. And 23% knew, you know, multiple people that both, they know someone who died and someone who's injured. So those are staggering numbers to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think we kind of expected it. It's just when you see it and the more and more you talk with people and the more and more, I think everyone's been, everyone's been, well, I guess not everyone's been touched by this at this point because 38% said they don't know anyone who's been injured and they haven't lost anyone. Thank God. Yeah. And as you were just mentioning those statistics, I'm sitting here thinking of the people that I know that have been injured. I was just telling you off the air about my friend who just had a heart transplant, young man right. in his right. 30s, prime of his life and great health, all of a sudden has congestive heart failure and needs a heart transplant. It was yep. successful, thank God. So, uh, but just, I mean, how many stories out there are there? So many. A lot. It's endless. I I hear many, and I and I know many, and I know someone who had to have uh, stints put in. <laughs> Not good, and uh, and the and the doctor actually told him. He said, "Yeah, six months seems to be about the mark when when he keeps seeing people coming in after they got the jab, and now they're having heart issues." So it's, it's very concerning. Um, and so I wanted to share this tweet that Robin put out um, because she was actually telling me about this the other day. And, th and this is really important because this is kind of, I don't want to say angle, but for lack of better words, an angle that, that we haven't really sat and discussed much. So I want to read this story because I want people to comment and let me know what's happening in, in your area, what you're seeing in the healthcare industry and medical facilities by you. So she says, I took my daughter to see her pediatrician on Friday. It had been a year. I chose this pediatrician because I knew that she stood for medical freedom. She looked tired, stressed, and she was snappy not like her at all. At the end of the appointment, she looked at me very seriously and said, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to find another doctor. I was shocked. I didn't see that coming. My first thought was, what have I, what have I done wrong? I asked her why. She then told me because she was going to be leaving this practice and couldn't take all of her patients with her. She also admitted she wasn't even sure she was going to continue to practice. I asked her if she could recommend another doctor. She looked at me with grave seriousness and said, I could, but there will be no guarantee they'll be able to take on new patients. I asked her why, and she said, because 40% of our workforce is gone. At first, I couldn't believe my ears. I knew exactly what she meant, but just to be clear, I asked her, gone where? They're either dead, they're injured, or they've had to leave their jobs to care for injured loved ones, or they got so fed up that they've left their medical careers altogether. Uh, this had me in tears. She looked like uh, she was about to break too. And I said, from the jab, and she said, yes. So this is, this is a reality I think we're seeing. We've seen some hospitals, you know, several hospitals close, medical facilities, doctors leaving, um, some, some that left the profession um, because they refused to give people jabs. They didn't want to be part of this. Uh, some who were pushed out because of that. And now what we have is we have all these, you think about it. So you've got healthcare professionals out there where people are coming in with issues and they're going, oh my God, is this from the jab? You know, is there shame there? Is there guilt there? Um, do they not know how to treat it? Are they overwhelmed by this? Um, are they sick themselves? So, I mean, this is, this is a real concern. Absolutely. My gosh, 40%. That's nearly half. I mean, and I'm seeing it. I could, I, I would leave a comment for you, Corey, <laughs> because, you know, when you have parents who are, you know, up in years, they often have many doctors that they see and, you know, lots of appointments. 
And I can just say personal testimony. My my mom has been experiencing the, the same issues with difficulty um, getting in to see a doctor, um, lots of wait, mm-hmm. waiting time, um, and getting kind of pushed to, to the side because there's so many people waiting. There's so few uh, medical experts that are able to tend to everyone's needs. So, right. Yeah, and I've I also think, noticed, so. I've also noticed a flip, whereas before you couldn't get results. Like if you had an x-ray or a scan or some lab work or something done, they would never give you the results. The doctor would have to go over it with you. And then they would go over it on the phone and you'd have to beg for them to send a copy so you could keep it for your files. Now it's reversed. Now they send you the results and you wait a week for a doctor to explain them to you, which I personally prefer that because I can just figure it out and break that stuff down. But it's, yeah, they, you know, for older people that, you know, maybe struggle with doing the research or trying to interpret or understand that could be a little scary and nerve wracking. And so we're seeing a lot of that going on. And I wanted to provide a couple really good resources um, for people. Uh, one is this, the uh, COVID resources, which has a ton of uh, medical and legal and healthcare links in here, as well as to medicines. Uh, yeah, that one's a pretty lengthy one. You could just scroll through that real quick if you want. Yeah, tons of information in this with tons of great links to resources from everything from medical to legal resources to what's going on in states and then also forms and letters. Um, Gosh, I guess I could go back in and remove the uh, map at this point, huh? Because I'm sure that's all been somewhat altered. So, and then the other one is on the solution series. And whereas this is subscription-based, I do have a lot of links at the bottom. So this was an episode we did on navigating a failed healthcare system with Jennifer Walters and Matt Hale. And Matt's an attorney, Jennifer's a nurse. They brought tons of great information. Uh, Jen does the health series over at Solari Report. And so they had great information to share. If you are able to subscribe, then you have access to 24 episodes from all different people on different topics um, for solutions. But if not, just go in here. You can you know, you can watch the preview, scroll down under related resources. And uh, Jen had given me a list of resources. She's, so she, she has um, masterfully figured out how to navigate the healthcare systems, put herself through school to become a nurse, just to assist, you know, her child who had been injured. And so she's a wealth of information And there's some really, really good resources under here for uh, health professionals. So I just wanted to share that with people if they're finding this same problem in their area, which they probably are. I think we all are at this point. Yeah, definitely. I think that we are seeing a failed healthcare system collapse. And I think that that was partial, that was by design, um, overwhelming the, the, the healthcare system. And it's, it's, years in the making watching this whole thing play out really right i think it's part of trying to roll everything into the one health you know Mm -hmm. and also i didn't have time that i just caught this before we hopped on to record so i didn't have time to find the actual study and resource for this but the epic times and maybe some others i'm not sure but they just came out with a report saying that the there's um the FDA put out a safety signal on um, two to four-year-old toddlers getting the uh, COVID jab. There's documented seizures now. So they put out what's called a safety signal on it. So I wanted to just alert people to that. My gosh. It's so evil. It's so evil watching this all play out. The people that are injured and children. I know. It's, it's, it's disgusting, especially if you look at like the miscarriage rate has just skyrocketed through the roof. And then that I can't even think of her name. I don't even want to know her name and give it any energy. But the new CDC director who just sits there and all smiles telling pregnant women to get it while they're pregnant and how safe and effective it is. And it just makes me want to puke. 
Yeah, but I heard some good uh, news. I think that it was somewhere around only 2% of the population here in America has gotten the most recent jab. So, <laughs> uh, what are we up to right now? Like six or seven? For God's sake. I don't, I don't even know. Oh. I don't even know. But I, I think that, you know, the population has finally, finally gotten wise to this. Yeah. And so they got to switch switch gears. And so you see them pivoting, and they have been for a while, obviously, um, from COVID to the next emergencies. And right. so, um, and that kind of segues into what we're going to spend the rest of the you know podcast talking about, which is um, the economy. But, um, you know, the economy has really kind of taken a, a back burner or, you know, second stage to... Um, you know, the world watching yet another crisis unfold now in the Middle East. You right. know, our focus has been diverted away from the major domestic problems, including the failing economy, you know, government corruption, the border invasion, just to name a few. Right. Uh, but um, Americans, I think, are getting wise to the tactics, don't you? Of the how they're manufacturing crises to manipulate the masses. And I don't think that they can spend this much more because Americans are really feeling personally uh, the financial pains of the failing economy in our everyday lives. So the ruling class can't really gaslight us anymore on that because we we see it, we feel it in our personal lives. And so, yeah, and even even people I talk with who don't pay a whole lot of attention to social media and they're just you know just friends and whatnot, they they see what's going on too. Right, right. And I think that most people are starting to see through the scheme of endless money printing and money laundering and the name of paying for the new crisis that, you know, they create. And so I really wanted to redirect our focus um, back to some key issues that are urgent and spend a portion of this podcast focusing on the economic crisis, really the theft of America's prosperity, our economic security by the political class, by the globalists who want to see this global great reset of the financial system. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm going to highlight several aspects of it, um, key areas that we should be focusing on. Um, starting with inflation, uh, the rising cost of housing, living expenses, how they've become unaffordable, but also uh, consumer debt, how that's rising just because people have to pay for these rising expenses, as -hmm. well as Washington's corruption and their addiction to this wasteful government spending, and the looming debt crisis they've created from printing trillions and borrowing trillions, and how everything that we're seeing playing out on the global scale from from the wars in Ukraine and in Israel, as well as uh, here in America with the election for the Speaker of the House, all of it's connected to this financial crisis. And they're all, it's all setting us up for this great financial reset, which you and I have spoken about for at length, you know, over the years with, you know, yeah. digital ID and digital currency coming. So um, starting with inflation and the rising cost of living, um, just looking at, you know, recent news this out, out this week, mortgage demand has collapsed to its lowest levels since 1995. And this is due to the high cost of the homes, which the, the home, prices have not come down and the high rates because the rates are continuing to tick up housing has come become completely unaffordable for the average american i mean oh yeah nowadays Look at that interest rate that's ludicrous eight percent eight percent eight percent and nowadays you have to make six figures to afford the average home And um, wages just aren't keeping up with the rising costs. This headline here, the housing market is so unaffordable that buyers need to make nearly $115,000 to afford the average home. That's $40,000 more than the average earnings. So earnings aren't keeping up. And so it really plays into this theme that, you know, the World Economic Forum has laid out for us of you're going to own nothing 
and be happy, isn't it? Aren't we watching this play out in real time? Oh, yes. They're doing a fine job. Yeah. And it's not just in the housing market. Of course, we see we see it, we feel it at the grocery store, at the gas pump, um, at all of, with all of our bills um, and and expenses those those rising. Um, so even though they want to say, "Oh, inflation's ticking down," and it's, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have soft landing, they keep gaslighting us. Anyone who has to feed themselves knows better. Right. Yes, you can't gaslight us on this. We know it. We see it. We feel it every day. Um, Americans are struggling with the increased cost of everything. Apparently, families are spending an additional $700 a month um, over two years mm. ago. That's about $8,500 a year just to cover Yikes. for the, the inflation. Yikes. $8,500 a year that people don't have. And, right. and because of that, um, we're seeing people struggling to make ends meet. And cover their debts. So we're seeing mortgage foreclosure foreclosures are going up. They're on the rise, uh, up thirty four percent from this time last year. Mm. So um, that's wow. not not good. No. And good. yeah, and um, also household debt is up. Um, so it's at an all time high of seventeen trillion dollars and this includes credit card debt at a record high of a trillion dollars so it tells you the story behind these numbers is that people are pulling money out or getting loans or using credit cards that's awful just to cover yeah just to cover the rising expenses and it's not sustainable i haven't you know i can't remember the last time I actually ha- owned a credit card. I-, I just refuse. I try to do everything in cash. Um, I just don't want to be in that debt trap because I know <laughs> because I remember back when I was like 19 and got my first credit card. Oh my god, I maxed that thing out so fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm yeah. never getting in that situation again. No, we but did the same tough. thing. They're they're like forcing people's hands right now. And, and people are going to have to start, you know, merging, um, I think, to, to support one another, you know, and I mean, meaning, you know, friends moving in with friends, families, you know, moving in with other family members. Um, and I don't know, there's so much stigma around that and there really shouldn't be because well, it's a support I... system you're building. And right now we actually need more support systems and communities and so... Yeah, and I, I think that's actually a trend um, of a lot of uh, young people, you know, staying with their parents up to the age 25 or 25 plus, um, right. even married couples living with parents because they cannot afford a home right now. Right. And uh, still facing high rent, you know, prices too. So um, whether they like it or not, I think that is a trend. And, well, uh, and with all the health issues right now, I think some people are probably doing it just to support one another, to be there to help out, you know? Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, um, our government is spending like a drunken sailor, yeah. um, you know, over every so-called emergency it creates. So mm-hmm. they create a border invasion. And now the Biden regime wants to fork over tax money to pay for the housing the food, the medical care for nearly 6 million illegal aliens, effectively creating a welfare program for illegals. Yeah, did you did you see that crap that came out about them saying that banks have to give loans, including housing loans, to illegal immigrants, which of course they're arguing, saying, uh, wait a minute, they're here illegally, so technically they created a crime, but you want us to approve a loan for them. In the meantime, you got people here that are like, wait a minute, I had to pretty much give up my blood and DNA just to get a loan, you know? Insane. Insane. Yeah, yeah I've heard about that. And that should go really well for the uh, mortgage industry, which is already on the brink. The bank, <laughs> the right. banks, which are also already on the brink. I mean, we're facing, yeah. you know, we're looking... He- head on facing another financial crisis similar to 2008 or much much worse and yeah let's go ahead and lend to illegals right (laughs) Right. yeah 
Oh, man. Meanwhile, um, they have all the infrastructure already in place, as I went over in my uh, space report, to just lock this, lock it all in, the whole digital currency thing. I mean, it's it's yep. ready to rock and roll as soon as yep. they give the green light. It is. It is. There. And we can talk about that timeline. I think well, that's something like uh, we'll, we can kind of wrap up with and see where this is all going. But just to give people another idea of the the endless spending the that government has for us um you know just as the money machine was drying up in ukraine conveniently we now have another one another war breaking out this time in israel mm-hmm. and the biden regime is prepping to a package of 100 billion in funding yeah. not just yeah. for israel but for ukraine also because see we couldn't get anything passed if it was just ukraine but now right. we're going to lump it all together with israel um, so it, it looks like with the bulk of it's going to actually go to Ukraine, 60 billion going to Ukraine, about 10 billion going to Israel with the remainder going into things like special interests, to, really to buy off politicians. So they'll sign on to this massive supplemental package, but mm. let's, let's not forget funding for Palestine. Right? Yeah. Wasn't there like a hundred, like a hundred million. That was it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100 million. So so we're going to give 10 billion over here to Israel and then we're going to give 100 million um in so-called humanitarian aid to Palestine, which is essentially controlled by Hamas. We're just going to fund Hamas. So we're funding both sides of yeah. this war. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Well, I yep. shouldn't say unbelievable. It's absolutely it's... unbelievable because they don't care about who wins this war it's just an a goal it's a suicidal goal of absolute destruction so that from the the ashes a new world order can rise is that i mean am i wrong in that assumption i i don't think so i i I think there's several there's several battles going on right now on so many fronts it's making my head spin um with (laughs) You know, I'm not a geopolitical military strategist, uh, but I, I'm I'm seeing multiple multiple things going down simultaneously, and there's definitely definitely some battle for power here. But then there's other areas where they're all vying for the same thing, and they have common goals. So it's 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 crazy watching all of this unravel. Yep. Yep, it is. But not to worry, because apparently, according to the Treasury Secretary Yellen, rest assured, American public, America can continue to foot the bill for not just one, but two wars. It's no problem. (laughs) Get those printing presses going. That's right. Right. Sending inflation skyrocketing, devaluing the dollar. Meanwhile, countries align with BRICS to trade outside of the U.S. dollar and threaten the U.S. as the world reserve currency status. But no problem. Let's just go ahead and fund two wars. Why don't we just make it three, right? I'm sure China is planning to make some moves on Taiwan soon while we're we're distracted. Right, right. This this whole policy is suicidal. And, um, you know, Republicans are not much better uh, than the Biden regime at all, because everything that's happening in the House right now with the election of a speaker is really about government spending. So Democrats and Republicans don't want the gravy train to stop. And that's why they don't want Jordan to be speaker, because he would probably block a lot of the spending that they want to pass. And the D.C. Uniparty is really beholden to these lobbyists, to the military industrial complex. They're getting kickbacks. You know this, right? I mean, mm-hmm. greasing palms. And so they're beholden to these guys rather than to the people. They want to continue see- to see the money flow. And so we're now seeing that play out in this House Speaker battle with the latest news on as of Thursday. Jordan looks like he's poised to support McHenry, the temporary speaker that guy that's you know the the tool bag with the uh the bow tie there um yeah i don't know anything about him other than he's north carolina what i've heard about him is that he was really behind a lot of mccarthy's backstabbing a lot of mccarthy's deal making (laughs) 
that got McCarthy ousted. And so a vote to extend powers to McHenry would really be a McCarthy 2.0 on steroids, in my opinion. So lovely. They're moving forward. The Uniparty is moving forward on that so that they can get a continuing resolution. And the goal being another massive, massive omnibus bill, which was the whole point of. of I can't wait for you to break that one down for us, Edge. (laughs) Actually, I don't know much about the omnibus bill because you have to you have to um, pass it to know what's in it, Corey. (laughs) I know. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I can't wait for you to break it down because I don't want to do it. But the DC Uniparty knows that they're sending this financial system over a cliff. They just want, I think, in my opinion, they want to push this financial collapse. They know what is coming. They want to push it past the 2024 election, all right, to save their own asses, to get the people in power, to keep the Uniparty in power um, so that there's nothing that we can do, politically speaking, to change the system it would already be too late at that point right and so right. i think what they're trying to do is just keep the presses printing the money presses printing till we get past 2024 and just let it all go to shit after that yeah if we get to the election if. i don't i don't mean <laughs> i don't mean i didn't mean it quite like that the way it came <laughs> out i just think there's going to be a lot of things trying to um sideline the elections going down Uh, that's a fair assessment that's a fair assessment i mean we're in 2023 still people the leading political opponent against the regime has like multiple indictments facing a lifetime in prison okay that's where we're at politically speaking meanwhile they've gotten us in in a quagmire of multiple wars um so and and they're still pushing bioweapons on us so i wouldn't put put them put anything past them i think that 2024 will be crazy um, and I think that we've got to maintain level heads um, going into this and kind of see the bigger picture, the bigger agenda of how we're being manipulated and dragged into these internal fights amongst ourselves rather mm-hmm. than focusing on the government corruption and fixing that. Um, because, yeah, I think that that's, that that's their primary concern is keeping us distracted. They They do not want a populist uprising um and so i think that getting us so overwhelmed um is part of the the strategy and it's working i mean because uh we we are in our personal lives i think so overwhelmed um the debt they've created the inflation they've created in our personal lives we're just struggling i think the general population to to stay afloat aren't we we are. And here's another thing that they're going to utilize. I mean, they're going to utilize this war for a lot of things, but they're already saying uh, that, and by they, I mean, in space force uh, and intelligence that we need to increase our space surveillance systems and satellites. And then two days ago, I see a report come out about it's kind of funny it's like a week after i dropped my report all of a sudden boom 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 all these space related things start coming out uh so so the report two days ago talks about wow scientists are concerned because we have a million satellites on the docket wanting to launch eventually so they have to like register them And you've got all these different countries registering them. And actually, there's a massive amount coming out of Rwanda. Interesting. And um, so, yeah, so they're going to use it to step up more surveillance in space. Anyone who has not read that report needs to read that report because that is where they're building out the control grid. And uh, financial infrastructure ties right into that. So. Absolutely. I mean, I think so. Then the. Then also, I think it was just today, the Financial Times came out with a whole long report. And I'm like, darn it, why didn't this come out a couple of weeks ago? Because they have this awesome diagram, which, of course, they probably would have said I was, you know, infringing on their copyright if I had used it. But it's a great diagram showing the uh, space-based solar systems and how, you know, they're all working on that. And multiple countries are working on that. And... 
yeah it was a really cool diagram I'm like oh look at that they show the microwave radiation beaming right down to earth <laughs> good one to show <laughs> wow yeah it's crazy yeah. yeah you know they're working on um the mechanisms they have them in place for a financial reset and I think that if you look at it in that perspective, then you understand why they're being so reckless. It's, mm -hmm. in my opinion, it's intentional. They mm -hmm. need to collapse the current system in order to install a new one. Is yeah. that what you Definitely. think? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And so the debt um, crisis Washington created, it's getting so out of hand, it's hard to imagine a way out of this now because it's compounding. See, the interest on the debt alone is astronomical. And it's mm -hmm. only going to get worse as the debt is refinanced at higher interest rates, which is causing this meltdown in the bond market. People just don't think that the U.S. bonds are safe anymore. And, um, you know, the U.S. is getting downgraded, you know, because of this debt we've created. Other countries just don't want to buy our debt because they think it's, you know, it's <laughs> unstable. Yeah. Um, and the banks are facing similar issues um, of instability as well. Earlier this year, we saw a string of banks, including Silicon Valley Bank, uh, that, that collapsed and a couple of others. And a major part of the problem is unrealized losses, which could take other banks out as well, uh, meaning like they're upside down, <clears throat> upside down. And so selling selling things at a loss. Right. So, yeah. Uh, this is a huge problem. Uh, Bank of America had came out. It came out this week that Bank of America's unrealized losses uh, rose by 131 billion. That's a major mm. red flag there. But they're not alone. I mean, other banks are. We're looking at um, a total of about 558 billion in unrealized losses of by big banks combined mm. so not good um no. yeah and are we looking are we looking at the beginning of the squeeze to to squeeze out all the smaller banks right now do you think i think so i think there's definitely an attempt to do that i, I, no, think I that's should look kind of by i design. should look that up i wonder how many smaller banks have closed over the past year mm -hmm. that would be an interesting factoid that plays into this. I definitely think they're trying to consolidate and get as much of the wealth into major banks that are quote unquote too big to fail, right? Um, and they gotta be bailed out. But, uh, you know, if you have all of the big banks at once, it would have to be just a complete reset of the financial system, wouldn't it? Yeah, this is and interesting. And conveniently so they're ready to do that. So I just, so now this is from July though. This is a Forbes article from July that says zero banks failed in both 2021 and 2022. Bank collapses were similarly uncommon in the early 2000s. Of course, from 2001 to 2007, the U.S. saw an average of just 3.57 bank failures per year. That's interesting. Um, but then I look under the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, bank failures in brief 2001 through 2023. I don't know what date of 2023. They say there were 565 bank failures during that time. Yeah, I don't get the Forbes one isn't reading right. Something's not sitting right with me there because we already know some major ones failed. Um, I mean, I can't think of the names off the top of my head, but yeah, you're gonna have Silicon to Valley, right? Silicon Valley and a couple others, I'm going to have to, gosh, I, I can't remember the names either. I'd have to go back and look. But yeah, we're going to have to dig deeper because I think we're being gaslit on, <laughs> yeah. on that as well. They want to create a false sense of stability, right? They don't right. want to create panic. Um, because if anybody goes and pulls money out of the banks, the banks won't have the money to cover it. Right. 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 That's how Silicon Valley Bank collapsed and the others as well. So, yeah, so I'm looking at the one on the FDIC, and they're showing two bank failures March, one in May, one in July, and I'd have to like, uh, oh, First Republic Bank, Signature Bank, Heartland Tri-State Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, there we go. 
So those the that's apparently apparently they say that's it right now. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we hang on to the smaller banks for a while longer. And you need to look at mergers too, because I think that that's, oh yeah, instead of saying oh this bank collapsed, True. it's just now it merged with a, a bigger True. bank. Yeah, right. uh, but the other area we need to look at is commercial real estate, uh, because that's a big red flag too uh, as a key indicator, um, and we have a problem. We have a big problem here in the U.S. with commercial real estate properties. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) In distress, defaulting on loans. Um, But it's not just an America problem. Big problems in China with that, too. Um, And all of this connects because when you see what's happening geopolitically, um, there are, I think, nations that are motivated to go to war to cover up financial crisis, um, which they see as a way to continue the money printing, keep the economy afloat for a little bit longer. They're also, I think, concerned about populist uprisings. And I think they see war as a way to distract the public away from government corruption and focus on an external enemy, whatever that enemy is. So I, I think that's kind of a way of explaining um, what's going on geopolitically. It really all goes back to this financial crisis that they've created, the debt that they've created. And um, we need to see this for what it is. The public's getting played. We're getting wrapped up in another war and focusing on one side or the other. And meanwhile, we're getting robbed blind and uh, getting set up for a reset of the system, um, I think. And um, that's kind of the last part of this discussion is that, you know, what where this is all going because the um, ECB is, or the, you know, European Central Bank put this out um, this week. They are moving into the quote unquote preparation phase um, for the digital currency, um, I think the ultimate plan by the globalists is to just, well, I say, I say it's to burn it down and so they can reset the financial system. I, you may differ on that opinion, but we don't, I, d- I do think we both agree, obviously, that this is moving towards a digital ID, digital currency, total surveillance and control global system, is it not? 100%. I so wish you would have been in town when I did the podcast with James on my space report so that, uh, hang on, I'm trying to find something. I have a quote here from JP Morgan because they were the first ones to test out the uh, blockchain in space. And uh, Nuja, here we go. They said, God, I need light, it's so dark in here um the oh no that's not the one from jp morgan shoot okay keep talking i'll find it It, because it's exactly what you're referring to is the new um they are they're trying to do a reset to create this new financial system and they've already got the gateways in place they have the framework they have it cross-border gateways ah found it so jp morgan says Space exploration is becoming increasingly well-funded and presents an exciting opportunity to deploy financial technology to create a brand new payments infrastructure leveraging blockchain. That's their own words. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they're making preparations for sure. And, um, you know, so this is not a surprise that now they're moving into what they call the um, preparation phase, which starts November 1st over at the European Union. Um, and they want to make sure everybody knows that this has nothing to do with CBDCs. Uh, we haven't decided on that yet because, you know, everybody in the public is familiar with CBDCs now, right? You've, let, I love me, watching me, the spin on this, how it's like, yeah. no, we're... <laughs> Let me elaborate on that real quick. So the CBDCs is once it's green-lighted, it's a go. So they have the fast payment systems that's already in over 60 countries, including here. And that's already set up 
to rock and roll. And so what they did is BIS was running pilot programs that they just completed last week successfully with the CBDCs through their Nexus gateway. And I know that the, the European Union's been working on this as well. And so they've already got the cross-border payments um, that the that so the CBDCs essentially can piggyback onto these fast payment systems that are already in place. So it's just a matter of saying it's a go. But in the meantime, they don't need it. They can they can continue to run this, control this. They could roll out the biometrics, the QR codes, all of it, and just run it through the fast payment systems, have it programmable, have it still control us in all the ways we've been talking about. So the CBDCs is just kind of like the icing on the cake to what's already there. You know, they're just putting the cherry on top. Right. The the infrastructure, um, the total surveillance and control infrastructure is already laid out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I love how uh, they try to spin it. Like, we're getting this all lined up and ready to go. We're in the preparation phase. It used to be called the realization phase, but we changed that. <laughs> because you guys freaked out and we used to say it was you know we're this this is all about cbdc's now we're we're walking that back because you guys figured out what cbdc's are so it's this constant word game yeah uh, that they're playing while they continue to move forward and um so yeah and i personally think that you know what they want is they want war first um, and sim- similar to after World War II, where there was a financial restructuring, you know, the Bretton Woods, mm-hmm. um, I think they want, you know, Bretton Woods 2.0, um, but with this new global digital ID, digital currency, right. headed by the BA- BIS, um, everything's tokenized, everything's surveilled and controlled centrally system. Um, I, I see that as like the, the long game. So I don't think this is like overnight um, because I think this still takes years to play out, doesn't it? I mean, I see this well, going into well past 2024, possibly 2025, or maybe even later than that. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a fair assessment. I would say, look, they they... Their main goal is to make sure everyone's got a cell phone in their hands. And uh, they've already achieved, so supposedly we're at 8 billion global population right now. I'm honestly baffled by how that number has gone up uh, when it should have, in fact, be going down with all the sudden deaths and miscarriages and lack of births. But their, their goal is... I think they said by, I can't find it. Where did it go? By, uh, oh, I know why, because I have it taped to my other monitor. <laughs> I have notes all over my desk. So we're at six, but as of 2022, 6.4 billion people had cell phones. And their goal is to get that to 7.7 billion by 2028. Okay. Um, and already we have 85% are utilizing social media from their phones. I personally don't do that from my phone. Uh, I don't download any apps and stuff. But the point is, they're tying it in through social media, like the fast payment systems, this infrastructure, they're not going to say, well, we're going to do away with PayPal and Venmo and, and crypto and all this stuff. No, hell no, we're going to tie all that in, because that's bringing in the masses into the digital currency system. And then we're going to regulate the hell out of it. And we're going to run it through our gateways and we're going to then flip it in through blockchain and distributed ledger and all that good stuff. So that's um, a good point. That's a good point. Following the, the, the cell phone users um, mm -hmm. as a way of gauging how far along they are on their plan. Because yeah, you're right. They need for everyone to be plugged in. Right. Right. And so like Deloitte, Okay, they're the, um, the they're the psychic predictors of all of this who do all the WF white papers and are very engaged in all of this and just partnered with Bitwave. Uh, so they're saying in just a few short years that three billion global consumers are expected to make one trillion worth of purchases using biometric payments. And then in China, in the fourth quarter of 2019, they reached one point three trillion. That's in U.S. dollars 
through the swipe and pay with the QR code. So, you know, <laughs> they're going to keep, they're going to keep pushing this as hard and fast as they can to get everyone in. But at some point they're going to say, we're making the switch. And if you want access to your funds, then you're just going to have to get on board. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, when that day right. happens, I don't know. Um, I'm going off grid I, when that day happens. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can live off the land, great. I don't know that there's going to be any health facilities nearby or if you need a post office or any groceries. But, you know, hey, man, if if you can do it and make it happen. Although, don't think you won't be surveilled because what they got going on in space is pretty profound. Yeah. So how do we give people a sense of hope, give people ideas on how to fight? I mean, I know that we've been pushing cash for a long time, um, non-compliance, um, as well as fighting these big omnibus bills to, you know, increase the debt. Um, any other thoughts on, on ways that we can fight now because we still have time? Honestly, I, what I see is one of the number one issues is, as far as fighting this battle and I'm sure people will, some people will disagree with me, but I know how energy and matter works and how it moves and how it's manipulated and them, the, the puppet masters, the globalists, the banks are bankers are all pulling our strings. They're all fueling us. We're like their battery chargers. Right. And we need to cut that damn umbilical cord it's like a constant um, draw on our energy and people getting hooked into the negativity, much of which is propaganda. And if, if we can raise our consciousness, shift our energy, shift to positivity and compassion and love and focus our energy and thoughts on the positive future that we want, that will that literally can alter reality and alter the future. So what I'm trying to say is we are partly responsible for manifesting this self-fulfilling prophecy. So yeah, um, prayers, we, positive thinking, um, don't feel defeated. And, um, and then it's a balancing act because you have to, you have to look at what they're doing in order to assess it, in order to stay ahead of it, in order to make, good choices and decisions but then you have to like flip that in your mind and say no this isn't going to happen i'm not going to allow this to happen i'm going to find joy in my life i'm going to like help my neighbor i'm going to do these positive things i'm going to use cash everywhere i go i'm i'm not going to comply with any of the crap they throw at us you know you got to take a hard stand on everything across the board yeah. and um and and pray yeah, absolutely. I think God wins. And if we have that, that victorious mind instead of victim mind, mm -hmm. set, um, I think that that is very, very powerful. Um, yeah. yeah. On the practical side of things, we've talked for a long time about being self-sustaining, working on that parallel economy, you know, networking, learning how to barter or trade. I mean, all these type, different types of things are, are I think, uh, you know, practical ways as well to prepare, um, to hold off and, and not comply and push back uh, against the system that they're trying to create. Yeah. And on that note, I got an overwhelming response. So I had put out um, in last week's podcast, as well as uh, in the newsletter and social media for people to submit, you know, uh, short stories, 550 words on miracles, angels, spirits they've encountered in their lives that, you know, change their perspective and really positive things. And uh, at the time I had said, okay, I'm going to select a few and I'm going to publish them on my site and then I'm going to mail those people copies of my books. But I got such an overwhelming response. And of course, a lot of people did not include their address or didn't say what they wanted their display name to be. <laughs> so what I'm thinking I'm going to do starting next week is I'm going to, well, I'll probably end up publishing more like five or six instead of just three. And then I'm going to read some in our podcast, maybe like, you know, one a week for a little bit because there's some really, really cool stories in here. So I appreciate everyone who's sharing these. It's, it puts a smile on my face. 
Awesome. I love that. I can't wait to hear people's personal stories. And I think that that's really positive and uplifting. People need that right now. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And we have a really funny video that John Paul Rice sent to me. It's like a 15, 20 second video that we're going to close this out with because it's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to close with a funny for you guys to send you on your weekend in a positive attitude. But before we uh, do that, I'm going to close out by saying, please share this podcast. We're on BitChute, Foxhole, Gab TV, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Pilled, Rumble, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. No longer on YouTube, so be sure to subscribe to our other platforms. We'll see you back next time right here, here on Dig It, and enjoy this. I hope you get a laugh. Flying squirrel has faked its own death and then even staged a crime scene. All right, so in a clip that's gone viral, the rodent knocks over a broom. When it fails to land in a convincing position, the squirrel has a bit of a rethink, a forward roll, so it ends up under the broom. It looks pretty convincing for a devastating murder scene. And it, hang on, final flourish. The squirrel ending up with arms splayed and the murder weapon across its chest.